Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome right. to New York. Oh. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of of Mind Podcast, podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! What is going on, Devils fans? It is, as always, your host, Neil Villapiano, and a welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get everything you need to know about your new Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. Thank you guys, as always, for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. This episode and everything we do are sponsored by the awesome people at DraftKings Sportsbook. When you sign up for DraftKings, make sure to use our promo code THPN. Oh boy, ladies and gentlemen, we have a bunch to talk about today. We're going to mainly, mainly focus on the Devils' previous game on Tuesday against the Colorado Avalanche. The reason is simple, is that there was just so much that happened before the game, during the game, after the game, that I felt like it had to be its own full episode. So I know that there's a certain article that Pierre Lebrun wrote when interviewing Tom Fitzgerald. We'll get into that probably a little bit more in the next episode, episode 50. So don't worry, I'm on top of it. I didn't see the article. Do not fret. I will get to all of that. But again, there was so much that happened in the entirety of the game against the Colorado Avalanche that I had to take the time to talk about it all because it was incredibly impressive what happened. So we're going to be talking about, you know, the significance behind, you know, before the game, you know, what happened obviously during the game, and then some really, really cool things, some milestones that occurred uh, during and also after the game as well. So. As always, we have a bunch to get to here on this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. So let's not waste any more time and get rolling. So 
the first thing we're going to do is kind of preview the game and also talk about the significance of it. So first and foremost, this was the first time the Devils had faced the Avalanche all season. The Avalanche were, I believe, the only team left up until that point that the Devils had not faced at least once this season. So the Devils, obviously, it's been a been a long time as it's been for several teams that we faced this year. It's been a long time since the last time we faced the Colorado Avalanche. This was the second of a four-game homestand. The Devils were coming off that overtime win against St. Louis on Sunday, and the Devils were looking to try to, with the win, secure at least a 500 record on this four-game homestand, which is incredibly important. We did get some frustrating news, and I think we kind of had a good idea that he wasn't going to play earlier in the day, but Nico Heischer was not going to be playing in this game as he is dealing with a lower body injury. He did not as far as I remember, he did not practice on Monday. He didn't do the morning skate, and that uh, Lindy Ruff doubted, uh, labeled him as questionable for this game. So I guess that there was still a slight possibility that he would play, but a but a very very slight one, and it turned out to not be enough to uh, allow Nico to come and play in this game. So. Hopefully he can return uh, for the next game, uh, for Thursday's game against Winnipeg. Um, and again, hopefully this is not something that's going to linger on because we've grown, as we all know, we've grown very, very much used to our guys being out with what we think are minor injuries, but then they linger on and on and on. So, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you want to do, in hopes that Nico does not uh, is not out too long. But one of the big things about uh, that game that was super special is that the Devils were celebrating Gender Equality Night at the Rock. It was also International Women's Day. So it was obviously a very, very big day in not just the sports world, but really in the world itself. Um, and once again, the Devils for this occasion had themselves another tremendous warm-up jersey. And this one was to celebrate the occasion. And like I said before, when we were talking about uh, the Black History Month warm-up jerseys, that I think I am going to do an off-season video where we're going to rank the entire, all of the warm-up jerseys, because we've had a lot, all the warm-up jerseys and just kind of go from there. I think it would be fun because we've had probably some of the most unique warm-up jerseys in the NHL this season. Now, this warm-up jersey was designed by a woman by the name of Amarisa Nirajan, a brand director at Unveil on Uno Unilever throughout the jersey. There is a marbling effect of various colors, including blue, pink, white, and purple. This was designed to signify the fluidity around gender while using some colors that have been used for gender in the past and transform them. When you take a closer look at the Devil's Crest, you'll see three rings surrounding the center, which has the NJ in a marbled effect. The rings shows the depth that comes with the conversations of progress with gender equality. Surrounding the crest on the outer ring are multiple Roman numerals, which represent different dates important in the conversation for gender equality. And when I obviously got the information for this, I was very much impressed with how much detail this warm-up jersey really had, and probably the most detail we've seen of any warm-up jersey and the significance of it. So, the first one was MDCCCLI1851, a former slave turned abolitionist and women's rights activist, Sojournia Truth, delivers her famous Ain't I a Woman speech at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. 
MCM double X in 1920 represents the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is completed, declaring the rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. MCMLXIII 1963, President John F. Kennedy signed into, into law the Equal Pay Act, prohibiting sex-based wage discrimination between men and women performing the same job in the same workplace. MCMLXXII 1972, Title IX of the Education Amendments is signed into law by President Richard Nixon. It states, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. And then I believe this is the last one. Yeah, the last one is MCMXCVIII 1998. Women's ice hockey is featured for the first time at the Winter Olympics in, Naga in Nagano, Japan. These jerseys representing gender equality and part of the Devil's Celebration will be available for auction from yesterday, March 8th, through March 15th, with proceeds benefiting the Devil's Youth Foundation. So this was kind of the first major thing that we saw. And what I really loved was obviously getting this information and reading and learning more about, you know, just the significance of it and how much we've really, you know, come you know, come to this point with, you know, gender equality and especially with women's rights. And it's phenomenal. And I'm very happy that the Devils and the NHL, more particularly the Devils, are recognizing this and are showcasing these people, you know, to the world, to the hockey world, to the world in general. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal. And these jerseys were probably... Um, out of all the warm-up jerseys, they were probably the most popular with so many fans and so many people. It really was tremendous. And um, I really, really love them. And I love what it all stands for. Now, another interesting thing is that the Devils also had two women broadcast the game on the Devils radio network. Kelly Schultz was the play-by-play -play announcer and Erica Ayala as the color commentator. Kelly Schultz has 15 years of play-by-play -play experience and is currently the radio voice of the Bemidji State University Division I women's hockey team. Ayala is a sports writer who has covered basketball, hockey, and other sports for ESPNW, which is ESPN Women, Think Progress, Deadspin, and numerous other publications. She has worked as an analyst on the PHF and WHL, the National Women's Hockey League, broadcast and is the host of Founding Four podcast and co-founding writer of the IX newsletter. So these two women certainly, certainly have impressive resumes with a ton of experience. And it was definitely kind of, it was a very unique thing. And then you also think about Catherine Bogart was covering the game, Amanda Stein as well, Erica Wachter. We had nearly an entire female broadcast, which is something that we really haven't seen that much in sports and certainly in the game of hockey. I want to give, you know, the Islanders a lot of credit because they, you know, definitely, definitely are big on women's equality and having them work in the hockey, in, in the hockey workplace. And it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal that, uh, that the Islanders do it. It's great that the Devils were doing this. It was tremendous. It really was. And so going into this game, you recognize that there was a bigger meaning to it all and what it all stood for and just showcasing again that 
everybody. The hockey really is for everybody. And not only is hockey for everyone, but life is for everyone in many, many different ways. And there are so many women out there that can do just as good of a job as men. And I know this for a fact because I've worked with a handful of women in the industry and know the type of talent that they have. And it's great that they're being given these opportunities to showcase what they can do, even if it's for one day. But it's great that we have days like this to honor those women in the past and even honor the women of the present who are constantly putting women in a good spotlight and working hard to give them the rights that they fully deserve 100%. So that's, you know, you know before the game, there's already so much that's going on. Now, getting to the game itself. For like the umpteenth time, the Devils came out flying. They certainly look like the better team. Now, that could be attributed a little bit to the fact that the Avalanche had played the night before. But still, the Devils wanted to come out and not be intimidated by playing the all-powerful Colorado Avalanche with Kale McCarr, Miko Ranton, and Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, etc., etc., um, but unfortunately, despite the Devils having a lot of chances, they could not convert. And for another of the several times it's happened of late, the Devils' penalty kill failed them. And not only failed them, it failed them twice in the first period as both McKinnon and Ranton had scored freak goals to make it 2 to nothing avalanche after one. The first one was kind of McKinnon whacked it out of midair right in the slot. It bounced and then beat Nico Dawes. And the second one, Rantanen took the shot from a sharp angle. Nico Dawes got there, but it squeaked on it squeaked on his arm and I guess up against the the I guess you'd say post and then squeaked in. So really, in a way, both of the goals are very freaky. And it was again one of those situations where the Devils dominate, 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 but they end up not scoring. And not only do they not score, the other team ends up scoring. At one point, the Devils had only given up six shots in the first period, but two of the six shots they gave up ended up in the back of the net. So obviously, going to the second period, you're not feeling, from a fan's perspective, you're not feeling super, super confident because we've seen these type of games before where the Devils, especially sometimes against good teams, they tend to fall apart. And... Uh, it looked that way early on in the second period. Again, the Devils kept pushing, but, you know, they just, Darcy Kemper was making a lot of really, really good saves, and the Devils just seemed like they were going to have a long, long night of having chances but not being able to convert. Uh, Kale McCarr would add a third goal for the Avalanche on a rebound. He would score 552 into the period, and at that point, just about six minutes in, the Devils are down 3 nothing. And I remember saying on social media, this is going to be one of those nights, isn't it, where we had seen over the last couple of weeks that even when the Devils lose, they're still relatively competitive and they're still in these games. Um, and we had not seen them get blown out in quite some time. So it kind of felt like it was almost like a perfect storm that, yeah, we were facing a Colorado team that's almost or at least I'm pretty sure almost 40 plus points more than we have. And they're coming off you know, looking to try to continue their excellence and, you know, really just manhandle us. But I don't know if something was said during a TV timeout or whatever, but the Devils never caved in. They never just allowed it to get to four, five, six goal lead. They just continued to press. They continued to push the envelope in hopes that eventually their hard work would cash in. And it would cash in. It would finally cash in as Tomas Tatar would score a goal in which, again, kind of like Nathan McKinnon's goal, it kind of kind of whacked a little bit and it slowly trickled its way into the 
net. This was about four or five minutes after the Avalanche made it three to nothing. But Tatar would score his first goal in exactly a month. He had the last goal he scored was February 8th against the Montreal Canadiens. And also what was significant significant for that goal for Tatar was that that was the 400th goal of his National Hockey League career. So a major milestone for Tatar, which is obviously phenomenal. And congratulations to Tatar on reaching 400 career NHL goals. But more importantly, it got the Devils back in the game. And you could see right after that that the Devils said, all right, we're back in this game. We're, we've been able to solve Darcy Kemper. Now we know we're capable of scoring. We just got to continue to push the envelope. And the Devils continue to dominate, dominate, dominate. And then at the 12-18 mark, Ty Smith gets the puck on the right side. He had a defenseman kind of fall down. They're going to try to beat him with the stick. But as the defender was falling, Ty Smith decided to go to his backhand. And even though Darcy Kemper was down and covering that left post, it squeaked under his glove and in. And Ty Smith got his second goal in two straight games to cut the deficit to one at three to two. And it really looks like, and again, it's only two games, but it looks like that benching that Lindy Ruff gave to Ty Smith for a couple of games seemed to have really, really been needed for Ty Smith because now he's scored in each of the first two games since he got off of being a healthy scratch. And that's tremendous. And Ty Smith already has, I believe he has already more goals than he did last year. So in a funny way, Ty Smith is starting to actually statistically um, look to have a better season than he did last year. And we know how difficult the year has been for the most part for Ty Smith, both statistically and just on the ice in general. But it's great to see Ty Smith be able to have the success that he's had in these last two games and score. And so, yeah, with a little bit under eight minutes to go in the th second period, the Devils went from being down 3 nothing to now it's 3-2. to two. And I remember saying to myself, Prior, just before Ty Smith scored, it would be great the Devils could get at least one more in this period, cut the deficit to one, and go into the third period um, only being down by one. But the Devils were not done as Damon Severson would score on the power play with 2.39 to go in the period. He took a slap shot from the blue line that went I, I don't know if it was deflected, but it ended up beating Darcy Kemper, stick side, top shelf, and in. And the Devils have come all the way back from down 3 nothing six minutes into the second period to by the time the end of the period ends, the game is tied at three. And again, the Devils seem to, at least of late, be able to have more success in the second period. And we all know how difficult the second period ha has or at least had been in the last uh, couple of weeks. but. You know, they outscored the Avalanche three to one. And you felt really, really good going into the third because at that point, the Devils had clearly been the better team from the, from the first puck drop to the end of the second. They were far and away the better team. And what I loved is that in the third period, it didn't stop. The Devils didn't just go, all right, we've tied the game. Now let's try to see if we can, you know, at least hold for overtime, get a point, blah, blah. They kept pushing. And if it wasn't for Darcy Kemper continuing to have the success that he had in this game, the Devils could have scored five, six, seven goals, honestly because they had some point-blank chances, but Darcy Kemper really, really did a good job of keeping the Avalanche in this game. But with 6.56 to go in the game and the Devils on the power play, Nate Bastion would whack one home on a rebound, beating Kemper, and the Devils grabbed themselves their first lead, making it 4 
unanswered goals. And I had not heard the Prudential Center that loud in a long, long time. And it was absolutely phenomenal for the Devils to score multiple times on the power play and just be able to grab themselves a lead. Then the question was, how were the Devils going to play out the rest of this game? Well, unfortunately, with less than two minutes to go, P.K. Subban took a penalty. And so the Devils knew that not only the, were they going to be shorthanded, but that the Avalanche were going to be able to pull Kemper and have a six-on-four-man advantage, needing just one to tie this game. So obviously, you're hoping that the Devils are able to kill it off. But certainly, if you can find a way to get an empty net goal, that would be even that would be much bigger and, and obviously, you know, would probably put the nail in the coffin. But sure enough, the Devils did a good job of blocking some shots. Eventually, Sharon Govich was able to intercept the puck on a weak pass, and he was able to just fire it three quarters of the ice down and in to get himself an empty net goal, and the Devils made it 5-3, to three, and that would be the final as the Devils, with one of, if not their most impressive win of the season, come back from down 3 nothing to the Colorado Avalanche to win this one with five unanswered goals and win it by the score of 5-3. to three. Now, here are some interesting news and notes from this game in the aftermath. Going into this game, the Colorado Avalanche were 23-0-0 this season when leading after the first period. So this was the first time all year in which the Avalanche had a lead after one and did not end up winning the game. So that was obviously a pretty remarkable accomplishment for the Devils to do. Now, talking about Jack Hughes, because obviously Jack Hughes is going to be in the middle of a lot of things. Jack Hughes right now is on a 96-point pace over an 82-game full season at just 20 years of age. And since... And since December 29th of 2021, so earlier this year when we played the Buffalo Sabres, Jack Hughes has been on a 119-point pace. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Hughes is very far away from his prime, and this kid has the makings to potentially, going into next season, go for what could be his first 100-point season. I don't even remember the last time the Devils had a 100-point player. It, it's certainly a long time, but Jack Hughes has shown the potential that if you continue to build around him, get him some more support, he's just going to do that much more damage. And I think that makes it even more exciting moving forward. And I think that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he's able to do. Continuing to talk about Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes extended his point streak to 12 games, which ties him with Peter Sikora and Steve Thomas for the second, second longest streak in Devils history. The longest overall is 17 games. So Jack Hughes, if he can get a point in the next two games against Winnipeg and Anaheim, he will get it to at least 14 before the Devils go on the road. Do I think there's a good chance he can break it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Another major milestone that happened in this game. With the win, head coach Lindy Ruff earned his career 776th win in the National Hockey League, which moves him into sixth all-time in wins in the NHL, passing Paul Maurice. Now, could you make the argument that Maurice would be further ahead if he was still coaching and didn't resign in the middle of the year? Yeah, but it is what it is. 
The, there are currently only two active NHL head coaches who are in the top six. That's Lindy Ruff and the Islanders head coach, Barry Trotz. So again, like I said before, there has been a, there was a lot to, you know, celebrate and recognize in this game. And I think it was phenomenal. Now, another statistic that we got from this game was this. The Devils became the second team in NHL history to rally from a deficit of three-plus goals to defeat the league's first-place team at this stage in the season, minimum 898 games played, joining the Mighty Ducks on March 21st, 2004. Anaheim overcame deficits of 3-0 at 6-5 to defeat the Detroit Red Wings, which entered play that day, owning an NHL leading record of 43-18-13-99 points. So the Devils making incredible history which obviously you really really love to see now i do want to fall i do want to finish by reading this th these two tweets that uh first of all our good friend sam kassan uh he tweeted this he says this feels like a signature win for the franchise and current rebuild head coach lindy ruff said there was a belief on the bench even down three nothing that the team would come back trailing three nothing to the team with the best record in the nhl that had 42 more points in the standings and no he nico he share no problem and then um david edelstein who i believe is a sportscaster in upstate new york near utica uh he responded to sam kassan's tweet by saying hearing the same mentality here with the comments difference of course is utica's atop the division and top four in the league but from the start all the way to now, the Devils organization players this year have continually said they believe they can win with anyone versus anyone. It is really remarkable to think about where we were even about a month ago. And over this last month, what the Devils organization has been able to do from a competitive standpoint, from an individual standpoint, it really, really is remarkable. And it, I, I tweeted this out earlier on, on Twitter at Devil State. Also, I shared it on Instagram at Devil State of Mind that it has been so much fun and exciting to watch this team of late because we have a handful of our young core that is producing almost on a night-to-night -night basis. We're finding different ways to win and we're competing against some of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Even losing three to one to the Rangers last Friday, it showed that we were competing throughout the game. We just ran into Shesterkin on a hot night form. We took on the St. Louis Blues or in a playoff position or at least fighting for a playoff position right now. And even though we surrendered a two goal lead, still found a way to get the second point in overtime. And then you face off against the Colorado Avalanche, the best team in the National Hockey League. You're down 3-0 in the second period. By all rights, it's understandable if you end up getting blown out considering the circumstances. But the team continued to believe in itself, kept fighting, and they were able to be rewarded for all of that, scoring not one, not two, not three, not four, but five unanswered goals and winning a come-from-behind game against this very talented Colorado Avalanche team. And that is at absolutely phenomenal and it just gives me excitement to want to watch this team again on a consistent basis and you can see where this team is going you kind of start to feel like maybe the team is finally going in the right direction that we need them to go into so it's great to see it's absolutely phenomenal to see this team going in the right direction not just at the nhl level but what we've seen consistently down in utica
And that just gives us so much excitement. And I'm looking forward to the rest of this season and even going into next year. And again, it would have been great if the Devils were playing like this two months ago to give themselves a chance to make a run into the playoffs. But you know what? At the end of the day, considering also the fact that we are still working with two goaltenders that we did not expect to be on this team when the season started, it's it's pretty remarkable what we've been able to do. And you got to give credit to Nico Dawes. Tomas Tatar said that they have so much confidence in this young kid who's playing in the NHL for the first time in his career, and he has now played in each of the last six consecutive games. Now, do I think that's going to continue? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But it, it makes you feel good that we are starting to see at least one goaltender in our system show promise that maybe just maybe he could be one of the long-tenured guys in this organization. And I think that that's really, really important. And uh, it's exciting to see Nico Das have the success. And eventually when he goes down back to Utica, because he's probably going to, and I still think Tom Fitzgerald will look to try to get a goalie to play out the rest of the year with John Gilly so that Dawes can go back to Utica. Um, I, I'm just, I, it's good to see that he's having success now because it will give him confidence going into next year to compete for an opportunity to be in the NHL full time. So I wanted to give credit to, uh, to him as well. Now, the next game the Devils play will be on Thursday. Most likely you guys are listening to this episode on the day of our game against the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, it's the it's obviously the third game of a four-game homestand, but there is significance with this game because this will be the game that the Devils will honor Travis Zajac for 1,000-plus games played in the National Hockey League. And um, Travis Zajac grew up in Manitoba, was a Winnipeg Jets fan, and uh, the Devils felt like it was the proper team to honor Zajac against. And uh, the reason the Devils are doing this is because when Zajac reached that milestone uh, the previous season, there were no fans. So it was very, it was kind of a, a weird, um, weird situation. So the Devils made it a point that they wanted to properly honor Zajac. Uh, for a thousand games. So the Devils will be doing that. Zajac still works part-time with the team. He's um, He's been with the team for practice numerous times. So he's still a big part of the organization, but it's nice that the Devils are going to be able to honor him with fans in the building. And I think that's very, very important. I imagine this will be prior to the game. I could be wrong, but either way, I think it's a great moment for Zajac uh, who spent Basically, you know, a little bit, almost all of his entire career as a New Jersey Devil. So I'm I'm excited to see that and uh, looking forward to uh, to checking that out. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, don't worry. You still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
21 or older, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, before I go, I actually have decided that I am going to talk really quickly about the article that Pierre Lebrun wrote for The Athletic. Um, that uh, when it, it was basically an interview he had with Devils GM Tom Fitzgerald, because um, it's very important. Uh, the main premise of the article was simply this. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald made it very clear because he spoke to P.K. Subban uh, a few days ago that the Devils have no intention of bringing him back after the season, that uh, whether he gets traded at the deadline or if he remains a Devil for the rest of the year, uh, P.K. Subban's time in New Jersey will come to an end once the 21-22 season comes to an end. And uh, I wrote an article um, for... uh, for the for um i want to i can't believe i'm forgetting the name of the of the um the puck report excuse me yes i wrote an article for the puck report that you guys can go check out just check it out on my twitter at t-h-e-n-v-p-s-h-o-w i also uh, retweeted it on twitter at devil state um as well and shared it on instagram uh i basically talked about evaluating pk suban's time as a devil um and, you know, how everybody could feel about it. And like I said in the article, there's mixed emotions. People are upset that P.K. Sumed did not live up to the hype that he got when he first came here. He never was the same player that he was when he was in Montreal and even to an extent in Nashville. And um, he's been very frustrating. He will most likely end up with more points this year than in either of the other two years he's been with this team, which is not really saying a whole lot because he had night. He had 18 his first year, 19 last year, and he's currently on 18 at the time of this recording. Um, But I will say that he made major impacts off the ice, having this team be more in the public in the in in the public eye, you know, whether it's on social media, his blue line buddies, um, you know, even being involved in designing the uh, Devil's Black History Month jerseys and things like that. So there was a lot of significance for him being here. And I think it was kind of cool at the end of the day to have a very well-known name in the NHL being with the New Jersey Devils. And, uh, you know, P.K. Subban said that he wanted to do his best to try to help the Devils win a Stanley Cup when he first got here. And obviously things have changed. Um, And the question is simply, are the Devils going to be able to trade P.K.? If they're going to be able to trade P.K., it's going to have to be a 50% uh, retained salary. If not, which is kind of interesting here because NHL Watcher on Twitter, at NHL underscore Watcher, he actually tweeted this out saying, Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick talked about the idea of the Devils terminating P.K. Subban's contract. Moving his cap hit will be difficult at the deadline, but if both parties agree to terminate the contract, he could become a UFA and sign anywhere for the league minimum. However, this may piss off GMs around the league if Subban goes to a team they might end up facing that they feel uh, might give them an edge by adding Subban for nothing. I think that Tom Fitzgerald is going to do everything he can to try to get some sort of value for P.K. Subban. And I think if we get to the deadline and no deal is made, then I firmly believe that then the Devils will just decide to terminate his contract and just go, all right, we're not going to get him. We're not going to get anything for him anyway. And there's no sense in him being here for the rest of the season, knowing that the team is not going to the playoffs. And also, when you have guys in your system that you could bring up to get a cup of coffee in the NHL for a couple of games, you want to do that because you want to see what you have, especially in years like this. So I think that that's, uh, that's kind of the main um, discussion there when it comes to P.K. Subban. So obviously, I wish that it had worked out better, um, but I do appreciate in other ways uh, P.K. Subban being here. Um, and I definitely hope he gets an opportunity to go for a cup 
one more time. I don't know if uh, this is his final year of his career. I'm sure he'll make that decision um, going into next season. But uh, whether or not he gets traded or not, this will officially be the last year that he's in New Jersey. So uh, the Subinator's time in New Jersey is slowly but surely coming to an end. Now, the other thing really quickly that um, was a main focal point, well, there were two main focal points that I wanted to quickly uh, discuss in that same article. One was that um, basically Tom Fitzgerald said that the Devils have to go back to the drawing board when it comes to their goaltending situation because there is still a tremendous amount of question marks when it comes to when it, when it, when it comes to simply what are the, what are the Devils going to do long term with their goaltending situation and there is a lot of question marks with this and uh, I, I I've been wondering the same thing you know what are the Devils going to do with uh, Mackenzie Blackwood well. Here's one thing that kind of was interesting. This has nothing to do with the article. Frank Saravalli put Mackenzie Blackwood at number 23 on his latest trade board update. Saravalli also reports that Blackwood is a couple of weeks away from returning from his heel injury and that he may even return before the trade deadline. So they're looking like that there is potentially a possibility, number one, that Blackwood could play to some degree towards the end of the season. But that also maybe if the Devils don't feel confident in Blackwood long term, that he, for whatever reason, could end up being dealt. I don't personally think it's the right move because I think you need to give Blackwood another chance to redeem himself with uh, a healthier team, a healthier Blackwood himself, and uh, go from there. And if you really don't think he's the answer, then you you look to something else. I do believe that. I still think that Nico Doss may be another year away from playing full-time in the NHL. So again, I think the Devils will look to try to bring in some form of a veteran or, you know, relatively competent goaltender to compete with Blackwood, to push him, to push himself and, you know, try to have some stability in net as we're trying to get ourselves back into the playoffs and trying to be a competitive team and, and goaltending, as we know, has been uh one of the team's biggest Achilles heel over the last couple of years. But I do think it's very interesting that Frank Saravalli put Blackwood in his latest trade board update. Maybe some teams have called about Blackwood. Maybe there is some value for him. But again, I don't expect Blackwood to be one of the guys that ends up getting moved. Now, I do want to mention this. We know for a fact that the Devils are going to try to be buyers at the deadline. So, you know, we are, you know, there's nothing new about that. There's nothing really new about that. But what was interesting, again, about the article that Pierre Lebrun wrote when he talked to Tom Fitzgerald was that Tom Fitzgerald plans on making another big splash move in free agency. I don't know what that means. You know, the, the, the most obvious meaning is that a guy like Johnny Gaudreau, if he gets the free agency, or maybe even a Philip Forsberg or somebody like that. But clearly, the Devils want to make another big move. They have the cap space to do so. They have plenty of cap space to also re-sign an RFA like Jesper Bratt. But clearly, the Devils want to continue to build this team and get them to a point where they are super, super built at the NHL level. So that going into next year, there is no excuse other than this team has to go out, stay healthy, and perform at the high level that they're even playing at right now. And... Uh, you know, we'll see. I don't know what that big splash free agents free agent move is going to be. Um, I'm going to try not to get my hopes up, but it, only time will tell. I think we'll have a little bit clearer of an idea once we get through the trade deadline and we know what the Devils did and did not do. Um, 
But as far as that, I mean, it, it's definitely something where you have to wonder, what does Tom Fitzgerald have up his sleeve? And I trust Tom Fitzgerald a lot. And it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do. So that was kind of the gist of that article. Um, and shout out to a bunch of people, supporters of the podcast that shared screenshots with me because I couldn't, uh, I didn't have the athletic subscription. So I appreciate you guys sharing that with me so I could talk about it here on the podcast with you guys. But um, it seems like a lot is happening in New Jersey, both on the ice and off of it. And uh, we're less, a little less than two weeks away from the deadline. So things are going to ramp up over the next couple of weeks. And we'll see what the Devils end up doing for the now and for their future.